The Hard Shoulder with Kieran Cuddy with Nissan on News Talk. On the issue of the mounting scandals for government. We are, of course, talking uh, primarily about two, about how nursing home patients, residents, were wrongfully charged for their stay and that when the government learned of that wrongful charge that they decided to pursue a strategy of secrecy and subterfuge and fighting tooth and nail to avoid paying people back. And then we learned last night from RTE Investigates that the state denied up to 12,000 vulnerable people their disability allowance. The exact same strategy, secrecy, subterfuge and fighting tooth and nail to avoid paying people back. And a point I made earlier is that in July 2011, right around the time that these strategies were being agreed upon by government, Enda Kenny, the then Taoiseach made this great speech in the Dáil. It saw him heaped with praise in the wake of the Klein report being published and Enda Kenny accused the church of hiding behind the legal advice of gimlet-eyed canon lawyers. Now the church are perfectly entitled to fight any and all claims made against them but I don't think anybody in their right mind would suggest the church were morally right or are morally right to fight those claims. Yet the state seems to be pursuing the exact same strategy, disguising their moral cowardice with this cloak of legal advice. Ivana Batchik is the Labour Party leader. She joins me now. Ivana, what are they thinking? Good afternoon, Kieran, and thank you for inviting me on. And indeed, I think the stories in recent days that have emerged have really caused so many to question this approach that apparently has been taken by the state by over many, many years, where it seems that the state has approached litigation in a manner that's really like any any sort of faceless corporate entity, you know, engaging in a war of attrition against those who dare to sue it. And so we see a route that has emerged in a whole range of different cases where people are denied legal legal rights that are due to them, such as the right to have have uh, the state pay their nursing home care, for example, or the right to to have disability allowance payments. They're denied those rights unless they sue the state. If they do litigate, the cases are defended by the state. Now, of course, the state's entitled to defend if there's no legal basis for the claim or if it's defensible. But the but the real issue here that has emerged is that the state has continued to put up a defence and then settled at the last minute before going into court hearing where they know that the litigant, the individual person, is likely to win the case. That's Mm. the problem, Kieran. And could I just apologise to your listeners for the bells going off in the background? I'm in Leinster House and we have votes going on and um, those are the Shannon bells. Uh, So apologies for that. But, you know, I think the reality here is, of course, this, you know, of course, governments, successful governments are entitled to defend cases. But, but the, the question that has arisen is about this legal strategy, which I've described as a callous one, which is where the government's legal advice is that they're likely to lose a case because somebody has a legal right Mm. to, for example, a disability allowance, that at that point, the state then settles the case in other words, makes a payment out of court without any admission on liability. And often, as we are discovering, this is happening, in fact, before the making of what we call legal discovery. In other words, before the, before the state has to disclose the documents on which it would rely in a defence, and certainly before the case goes to hearing. And, you know, the rationale is that settling in this way will avoid setting an adverse precedent. In other words, yeah. avoid setting a principle but that others could rely on. So I suppose the, que- the question I've raised today in the doll is, you know, 
what can we do to stop this practice from from continuing? Because we're seeing people who've been excluded from state redress. Yeah. In many other cases, I, I raised the, those who survivors of thalidomide, for example, who are still being you know being denied justice through the courts by the state. The reality is the state is not like any other legal defendant. It's not like a corporate entity, and governments have to act not only in a narrow legal interest but also in the public interest. So where but they're fa- they're failing yeah. in their moral duty, aren't they? They might it might be sound legal advice, but a government policy doesn't have to mirror legal advice. It, it, it cannot be unlawful government policy. I'm not suggesting it can. Yeah. But they can ignore legal advice and still act perfectly lawfully. And they should have, the moral, the morally just thing to do here would have been to ignore that legal advice. That's precisely the point. The government does not have to take the narrow legal advice. And of course, the legal advice will be about what's in the government interest. But, you know, what we've called for in Labour is for a change in the approach to government legal advice. Let's change the function of the Attorney General's office. The Attorney General is the government's legal advisor and currently under the Constitution they are the, the, they shall be the advisor of the government in matters of law and legal opinion. But we, but we can change that through legislation to say the Attorney General must also advise the government on the public interest because clearly the government as you say has a mm. duty, in fact I would put it as a democratic duty to represent the public interest and indeed the Taoiseach acknowledged that in his response to me today saying that there were various instances where the government had had sought to put in place redress schemes, for example, for survivors of mother and baby homes, for those who'd been through some physiotomy procedures, you know, even where there hadn't been any legal liability. And so that's exactly the point I said to the Taoiseach. Well, in that case, you are acknowledging the government is not like any other sta- any yeah. other corporate entity. But, but, but why, this, why this schizophrenic approach? I mean, like, why doing the right thing when it comes to mother and baby homes, albeit taking far too long to get up and going, but doing the right thing ultimately and yet on the other side of it you've got uh, these nursing home issues you've got that disability allowance payment issue you've got cervical check where again they wanted everything swept under the rug for as long as possible demanding people sign non-disclosure agreements and as well this all reminds me Ivana of situations of catastrophic injury at birth where the state will fight and fight and fight and fight against those families and often you hear those parents remark on the steps of the High Court when the settlement is made that they had a real feeling, a real sense, never admitted, but a real sense that the state was just hoping that their child might pass away or that they would run out of resources before it got to this point. That's exactly it. And, you know, you're, you've referred, Kieran, to those awful cases that we've all seen where, as you say, the state was defending to the hilt at the last minute and then makes the settlement, having, you know, put families through years and years of stress, of cost and so on. And, 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 it, and it, is, it is a callous strategy. And I, I think the problem has been that for far too long, we've, you know, governments have unquestioningly just taken narrow legal advice from the Attorney General. Indeed, the Attorney General hasn't been empowered to give anything but that legal advice. So, you know, it is time for change. That's why we're proposing a bill to enable and, in fact, require the Attorney General to give the government advice, not just on what the narrow legal liability might be, but also on what is in the public interest, what is the what would be the common good route? Because, okay. you know, we do have cases where government have, of course, have acted in the common good. That's because government are democratically elected. They're not a corporate entity and not a faceless sort of, you know, a corporate entity like a private company. And therefore, we do need to, I think, put 
recognition of that into our laws. And I should say, Kieran, that, you know, in my previous life as a barrister, I used to represent children from backgrounds of severe disadvantage who were at risk of harm. And, you know, quite a number of cases were taken by lots of, by various uh, children and their legal teams to the High Court yeah. in order to achieve the care and support the children needed. But I think all of us involved in those that litigation were very aware that the children who didn't have the resource, or who, you know, who simply hadn't yeah. sought the legal advice or who had well, fallen through cracks, they weren't going to get the support. And indeed, high court judges were very critical yeah. of this of this process, whereby only those who could, who had the the, the patience and and, you know, and could withstand the stress, could go to yeah. court and get well, their rights vindicated. Let, let me introduce Tom Clonan as well, the independent senator. Uh, Tom, I mean, to, to bastardise that Enda Kenny quote I mentioned earlier. I mean, are, are have successive governments been guilty of hiding behind the legal advice of gimlet-eyed government lawyers? Well, no, they haven't been hiding behind us. Um, this hasn't been a passive acceptance of legal of of legal advice. They've actually uh, ev- developed a strategy to deliberately. So yeah, yeah, they're proactively. They have proactively targeted the most vulnerable in society with this legal strategy, which I believe was called a sound legal strategy in the last couple of days. I mean, I'm yesterday just, by uh, the T shock. Yeah, no, I'm. Clear. I, I'm sorry. I'm very I'm very disappointed by this, but I'm I'm not surprised because it's consistent with um, a, a government. It's a, a kind of an ideological approach that sees vulnerable elderly and disabled children and adults. The the, the political philosophy that we've had for the last twenty years under successive Fine Gael uh, led governments is that uh, this this you know this is the responsibility of the family that that the next of kin have the responsibility to look after elderly uh, and disabled children and adults and and that the state should have no role in this. So they, they actively and proactively mm. push back. And I can tell you now, in Ireland, if you are disabled uh, or if you have a disabled child or if you acquire a brain injury or if you are elderly and you have a stroke and you lose some function, well, God help you. Because there is nothing out there. The 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 community um, teams that are supposed to support uh, children with disabilities have completely and utterly failed. And I got an admission from the former chief executive of the HSE at the Disability Matters Committee last year that that was the case. They've admitted that it's in failure. It's in free fall. You saw over the winter period with the crisis in our emergency departments that, you know, we're not able to cope with an ageing profile and, and a, a greater increase in the number of people who are elderly and require support. And this all comes back down to a, a political ideology or philosophy that is unique in Europe. So, for example, Ireland is the only country in the European Union where there is no legal obligation for the state or its agents, the HSE, for example, to provide treatments, therapies, supports, carers, care packages to people with disabilities or for people who are elderly or for people who require brain injuries. And there are hundreds of thousands of people listening to your radio programme and, you know, other radio stations who will find themselves in this position. And there is nothing there for you. So what I find absolutely reprehensible about this is that it wasn't just a passive denial of the fundamental human rights of people with disabilities, people like my son. But it was an actual proactive strategy to target them 
with litig you know a, a, an adversarial uh, process to threaten them with that in order to dissuade them or or you know push back on them getting their fundamental mm. human rights and that is perverse and that is not government by the people for the people that is a government and a political philosophy that has set its face against the people. And it's a government and political philosophy that wants to see the commodification of care, the commodification of health, and to move us towards that appalling American model that they have. But even the Americans with Disabilities Act affords uh, disabled citizens in the United States with better protections than we have here. We are outliers in Europe. And what this nursing home scandal and the, the, the refusal, to, you know, the, the withholding of disability payments shows the true face of, of government and that political philosophy that lies behind it. Because at, at the risk of, of, of getting too philosophical, I, I was going to ask why you think it is, is happening here? Because in, 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 on an individual level, and I'm only speaking for myself, and you might disagree, plenty of people listening will disagree, I'm sure, on text. On an individual level, I don't think we're talking about bad people in, in government Yet they pursue these policies that see them continually fail the state's most vulnerable citizens. And you've mentioned quite a few of them there. Like I'd add to that list, like, you know, any child with special needs waiting on assessment of needs or interventionist therapies, uh, none of them happening in a timely manner. Uh, you know, we, we were talking on this show last week about mental health services for children and adolescents and that shocking report that was in no way surprising because it is a problem that has been going on for years. Another cohort of the population that could be described as amongst the most vulnerable being failed by the state. It, it, is it political ideology? Is that the answer to that it, it, question? It, it, Why? It, it is. We're, we're the only jurisdiction in Europe that has where there is no legal, legal obligation to treat people. And that's why you have the collapse of the child and adolescent mental health services, where you know there are hundreds and hundreds of uh, consultant posts unfilled, where the HSE has appointed people to these roles without any higher specialist training, where we tolerate. And you know what? But what, 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 as an analogy, when we had horrible queues in Dublin Airport, it brought the country to a standstill and the government acted immediately because we could see those people. But mm. nobody can, when you're in the community as a disabled person or an elderly person, uh, who can't get a home care package so that you can live at home with dignity. In the community, nobody can hear you scream. And they just, it, it is rooted in this idea that caring and looking after people with disabilities in Ireland, that is constructed as woman's work. It's highly gendered. Women bear the brunt of the burden of caring in Irish society. There's a huge degree of shame around disability in Ireland. Uh, it's, I, I call it the last frontier of fundamental human rights. We treat people with disabilities in Ireland with such casual cruelty in a way that you would never contemplate treating people who, who are different by way of ethnicity, mm. gender identity or sexual orientation, because quite rightly, we have, we, we have a good track record in, in addressing those challenges. But when it comes to disability or our elderly or our vulnerable, you know, you're on your own. Like, for example, if you become pregnant and you go to Hollis Street, the Rotunda or the Coombe, yeah. they're not going to turn around and say to you, congratulations, come back to me in three years and we'll have an appointment for you. And in the meantime, oh. the best of luck, because that is exactly what's happening to people with disabilities. We are being told, people in my community are being yeah. told, you know, you have a child who's, who's uh, got a, a serious intellectual disability or a physical disability. They say, we will give you an, an assessment of need in five years time oh, or four years time, yeah. by which time it's far too late. And when you get your assessment of need, 
you can use it as I'm not going to say what you can use that because it is a worthless piece of paper because you will not get the services or the yeah. supports. We're in complete failure and free fall. And oh. that's the reason why I ran for election. And what I hope to do is introduce legislation right. into the Shannon that will make it legally obligatory for the state to actually live up to its responsibilities okay. and its duty of care to our most vulnerable citizens. And it's shocking to have to do that because ethically we should yeah. do this. And that advice was not a good advice, the legal advice that was given, because it has caused untold harm. Yeah. And it has again damaged the reputation and the relationship between Irish people and 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 politics. And that's not a good thing either. Okay. So and remember, lawyers don't don't give instructions. They take instructions. And that was a strategy that was devised by government. It was a proactive, deliberate campaign yeah. to further target the most vulnerable and frail people in our society. Tom, for shame. Tom Clonan, Independent Senator. Tom, thank you very much for joining us. The Hard Shoulder with Kieran Cuddy with Nissan. Weekdays from four on News Talk.